This is Elizabeth Thicken, and I invite you to study the Bible with me. You'll hear lectures from my women's Bible studies that I teach at my church. I've written in-depth studies on seven books of the Bible. They're available on Amazon. There's much more information on my website, elizabeththicken.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's dig into God's Word together now, knowing that His message of salvation has been spoken to us by His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll trust that the Holy Spirit will teach us the things of God. I hope this episode on Psalm 33 will excite you to shout your praise for your sovereign God who has dominion over creation and history and every individual life. Psalm 32, 10 and 11 say, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord in loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all upright in heart. Psalm 32 ends this way. And there is much to rejoice about. And you studied that in your homework. You talked about it in your groups. Happy is the man whose transgression is forgiven. His sin is covered. Happy are the women whose transgressions are forgiven. Our sins are covered in the blood of Jesus. And this is the great eraser. And it is better than any bleach any time ever. Our sin-stained, blackened souls become as white as snow through the power of the blood of Jesus. What good news. So we should be shouting for joy. We should be shouting for joy to the Lord because in His great wisdom and power, He determined that He would deliver us from sin and death through His Son. That brings us to Psalm 33. It is a great hymn of praise to the Lord, to Yahweh. That's what name is used here in the first verse of Psalm 33. Psalm 33 gives the forgiven ones of Psalm 32 the opportunity to sing our praise. This great hymn of praise emphasizes the Lord's power as creator. We will look at that section. It emphasizes his power over all nations. We will look at that section. It emphasizes his power over individual lives. We will see that. So there is nothing better that we could do today than to praise the Lord for his power and his plan and to trust that he is personally interested in our lives. So let's consider what's been going on in the world. Political campaigns. There have been political campaigns. There have been protests. And at these events and at other really exciting events, sporting events, concerts, you find a lot of excited people making a lot of noise for whatever they are most passionate about. During the 2020 presidential election, people have shouted out cheers and they've shouted out their support for the one that they think would be the best leader for the United States. But each individual 
in the United States and around the world needs their leader to be none other than the Lord God through His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to borrow a few campaign slogans from years ago and even now and give you a biblical perspective on our circumstance. And we're going to see how Psalm 33 speaks to our circumstances. Years ago, a candidate told us that he would bring about the change we need. But the change we need is only found in the gospel and in life in Christ. He is the one who makes the change we need. Another candidate said, country first. And that's honorable, but Jesus told us, Jesus first is what matters most of all in the eternal scheme of things. Jesus first. A previous candidate called us forward, but God calls us upward. He tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That is an upward call. That's an exciting call. Another candidate told us to vote for love of country, but Jesus tells us to love the Lord our God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Recently in these campaigns, you have heard, make America great again. Keep America great. But the only thing that's going to make it great is when people acknowledge the greatness of God and his great grace. And maybe you've heard that there is a battle for the soul of America. What we need to say is there is a battle for the souls of Americans. And we must understand the battle that the Bible tells us about is one that's against sin and self and Satan. And the battle is to be fought with the Word of God, the truth. So I want you to join me now in the truth and in rejoicing in the Lord and endorsing Him, not as a candidate, but as the one who's on the throne and who rules. He is our sovereign King. We are going to praise Him according to Psalm 33 for what He has done and who He is and for His plan for eternity and His personal involvement in our lives. I'm going to read through Psalm 33. This is going to be responsive reading. And I'm going to prompt you to praise the Lord. I'm giving you cue cards with the yellow words that you'll see on PowerPoint. So I want, I'll read and you're going to read and you are probably not going to be shouting, shouting in your hearts, I know. At least try to say it with a smile on your face. And you can be as loud as you want, but um, praise God as we go through Psalm 33. It says, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise the Lord. Yes, praise befits the upright. Hallelujah. Okay, we're going to go through the whole one. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Thank you, Jesus. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. Amen. 
He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. I believe it. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. It's true. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Yes, Lord. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. He did it. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. He is in control. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Hallelujah. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. He is on the throne. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. We trust in the Lord. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Jesus saves. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. For our heart is glad in him, for we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Amen. Without digging deep into this psalm, we can understand that it praises the Lord for being creator of the earth, and it praises the Lord because he's the master planner over all the nations and over all history, and we can understand that it praises the Lord because he knows us intimately, and he is the one who will help us. But we're going to look at the psalm a little more closely now and absorb the truths that it celebrates. The introduction is called, or the introduction is a call to praise, the first three verses. That's pretty obvious. It mentions two instruments to be used in this song of praise, the harp and the ten-stringed lyre. These are understood to be representative of a full orchestra. So what's called for here is a full symphony of praise to the Lord. Every instrument, every voice, everyone is to be shouting, singing to the Lord this hymn of praise. One commentator said, as you see here, believers need all the help possible to stir their hearts to praise God. Music gives expression to the praise that we can't verbally or physically express. Music helps us. The beating of the drums, the deep bass of a cello, the delightful twinkling of a flute or a piccolo, the electric guitars and their energy, all of this helps us sound out the joy that we have in the Lord and gives an opportunity to give him praise. 
and that praise is due to him. We are to play skillfully for the excellency of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord. Our very best is what he is due. In Psalm 33, this is the first occasion that we encounter the exhortation to sing a new song. There's no definite explanation of what a new song is. As one person put it, perhaps it's a new song because it corresponds to something new Yahweh has done. Perhaps it relates to a new awareness of Yahweh's acting with sovereign authority. Perhaps it's because Yahweh acts as his acts as creator and sovereign and deliverer, always deserve new songs. Whatever he does deserves a new song of praise. Perhaps we're to sing a new song in contrast to an old worldly song. Or perhaps it's a new song because a new person, a new member of God's family is singing the song. So they're new and they're singing their new song. Another has explained that it's probable that the words the new song, designate basically the ever new freshness of the praise of God in his victorious kingship. Every song we sing should be sung to the Lord with fresh current praise right now, hearts of joy right now. We have so much new to celebrate. And I've given you a list on the back of your handout. Let's look at those. His mercies are new every morning, Lamentations 3.23. He has put a new spirit in us, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, Ezekiel 36.26. Well, 11.19 and Ezekiel 36.26 talks about it. He has given us a new heart. He has given us a new commandment to love one another even as he has loved us, John 13.34. We are members of the new covenant, 2 Corinthians 3.6. Anyone in Christ is a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We have put on the new man, Ephesians 4.24. We enter the Holy of Holies by a new and living way. The old way didn't let us into the Holy of Holies, Hebrews 10.20. We will receive a new name. There's more new coming to us that we can't even imagine. Revelation 2, 17. We're looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth. Revelation 21, 1. A new Jerusalem. Revelation 21, 2. When we get there, we will sing another new song. And probably new song. One after another after another. Revelation 14, 3. And the one who sits on the throne is making all things new. Revelation 21, 5. In Psalm 33, we're singing a new song about something very old. We're singing about the creation of the earth itself and praising God for that act of creation. Verse 1 says, shout with joy. Verse 2 says, praise the Lord. Verse 3 says, sing a new song. And verse 4 says, because. This begins a new section of the psalm. Verse 4 through 9 emphasize God's dominion in creation. This is the next section of this psalm. We are to sing, shout, praise because of God's word and his work. These went hand in hand in creation. Verse 6 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. 
I think David was reading Genesis chapter 1. Verse 9 sums it up. He spoke and it was done. God's word carried out his work. God said, let there be, and it was so. Recognizing the power of God in his act of creating the earth should bring about fear, awe, reverence, praise, trust. Why? Well, if God can make something out of nothing, then can't he do anything he wants? Yes, he can. You know, <laughs> he can. Isn't he the greatest power in the universe? Can the created thing, that's you and me, have any greater power than the one who created it? It's really logically impossible that we could have a greater power than God. We cannot. There's a little story that you may have heard before, but it's a good reminder of the truth. So let me share it with you, and then you can share it with someone else. One day, a group of scientists got together and decided that man had come a long way and no longer needed God. So they picked one scientist to go and tell God that they were done with him. The scientist walked up to God and said, God, we've decided that we no longer need you. We're to the point that we can clone people and we can do many miraculous things. So why don't you just go on and get lost? God listened very patiently and kindly to the man. And after the scientist was done talking, God said, very well, how about this? Let's have a man-making contest. To which the scientist replied, okay, great. God added, now we're going to do this the way that I did it to begin with, back in the old days with Adam. The scientist said, sure, no problem. And he bent down and grabbed himself a handful of dirt. And God just looked at him and said, no, 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 get your own dirt. I love that story. I do. I love that story. That settles it. There's no way. I don't know that any man can create matter. I'm looking at my scientist. They cannot. She affirms. The scientist in the room affirmed. <laughs> Recognizing God's power in Psalm 33, 8, it says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord because he is the creator. He can do anything he wants. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Recognizing God's dominion over creation is the basis for recognizing and understanding God's dominion over history. So he created the earth, and now we look at what he's been doing ever since the creation, the history of everything that's ever happened on the earth. Verses 10 through 17 make up the second section of the hymn. Psalm 33, 10 through 17, the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. We're seeing God's dominion over history. The God who had the power to create the world has the power to be in control over the world. 
What good news. It is so much help for us to go back to the beginning and go back to the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. What a foundation it is for understanding things that are happening all around the world. God is the one who directs the course of nations. He's the one who has planned out the kings of the earth. He has planned and put in place the rulers of nations. He has raised up nations and brought them down. And God has planned out the presidents of the United States and the leaders of Israel as well. Let's remember the first coordinated plan of the people. Back in Genesis 11, it was to build a tower. They wanted to build a tower whose top would reach into the heavens. They wanted to make a name for themselves so that they would not be scattered over all the earth. And God said, nope, that's not happening. Here's the record of this. Genesis 11, 7 and 8. God said, come, let us go down there. Confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. And the tower of Babel was no more. People's plans can be thwarted and fade away. They will be if that's what God wants to do. But the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart stand from generation to generation. What are the Lord's plans? You know what many of them are. He is making all things new. He is fulfilling his plan, his way. Isaiah 46, 9 through 13 says this, Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God knows what he's doing. I love that it's his good pleasure. That's his will. His will is his good pleasure. He's doing what pleases him. How did God declare the end from the beginning? Let's remember, in the beginning, in the first book of the Bible, God declared what he would do in the end. In Genesis 3, what is it, verse 15, to Satan, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Satan's doom is sure. The end has been prophesied to us and told to us in Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan's doom is sure. We also see another end from the beginning. In Genesis 12, 2 and 3, this is regarding the, at the beginning of God's creation of the nation of Israel. 
To Abraham he said, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And there is no change to this promise of God. Genesis 17.4 is a continuation more about God's making of the nation of Israel and his promise to Abraham. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. In these two passages, we see that God is promising many things to Abraham, summed up as land, seed, and blessing. The blessing that is coming through Abraham is the nation of Israel and Jesus, who is the king over all. So the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham regarding the blessing and the king is found in Jesus. And Matthew tells us about him. Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's definitely one of the seed of Abraham. Another declaration that God made at the beginning stages of the nation of Israel is found in Genesis 49.10. It says, the scepter shall not be, depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And God has declared that this ruler from Judah will be victorious in the end. The scepter and the ruler's staff are what give the conquest. And in Revelation 5, 5, it says, one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. So, you know, this is talking about Jesus. He is of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And the seventh angel sounded, Revelation eleven fifteen. There arose loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. This is the king that we're waiting to see take his rightful place. It belongs to him now. God is carrying out the things that must happen until Jesus is on the throne, ruling over all the nations. And we can praise the Lord right now because his plan will be accomplished. The end which he declared from the beginning will come about. Just as his word created the heavens and the earth, his word will carry out his plans. Because the Lord will carry out his plans, the nation who submits to his plans and his ways and his rule, that nation will be blessed. And this is promised in Psalm 33:12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Ah, now you see the flag of Israel up here with the star of David and our American flag before you as we are thinking about both of these nations in Psalm 33. 
I was brought a really great prop that I've never seen before, but these are glasses with a star of David making you think of Israel, the flag of Israel on them. And we need to look at Israel the right way. We need to see Israel through God's eyes. We need to read scripture about Israel, looking at it the right way. So thanks for that. And we have a take-home, one take-home door prize for someone who wants another pair, who wants a pair. So you can see Israel the right way. Let's look and think about um, Israel right now. Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. He has definitely chosen the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. He created it. They are his people. Commentator Peter, Peter Craigie says, the nation whose God is the Lord is blessed, is blessed precisely because its national existence is based upon the divine plan, not merely upon human aspirations. The blessing comes because it is God's plan to bless. Israel's existence as a nation is because of the Lord's plan. They are his chosen people. They are created for his name's sake, to show his glory, to show his holiness, to be a kingdom of priests to the world and declare, to declare who God is to the world. The nation of Israel gave us Jesus our Savior. So Israel's existence as a nation is because of the Lord's plan. They are legitimate. And don't forget, those who bless Abram and those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be cursed. That continues today. What about the rest of the nations of the world? Can we apply Psalm 33:12 to other nations? Yes, we can, because they too have their existence because of the plan of the Lord. We need to remember God created nations himself at the Tower of Babel. We saw that. All nations, tribes, and tongues were created because of God's plan, his word, his power. Our country today is a part of God's plan we can be sure of that. United, the United States is a part of God's story as much as the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Persians and Greeks and Romans were. This verse, Psalm 33, 12, tells us that the nation who worships the Lord will be blessed. They will be happy. This is good news. It's also bad news because it means that the nation who does not worship the Lord will not be blessed and will not be happy. This is sober news for us in the world today and in the United States. Our country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. These are the, Christ the principles that are found in the Bible. Many of our leaders today in the United States have departed from God's way from his way of life described in the Bible. So it won't be surprising if there are unhappy people, if our nation has trouble. 
What do we need in the United States to make America great again? What do we need to do in the battle for the souls of Americans? I think you know the answer to this book, to this book, this an the answer to the question that I just asked. What do we need to do? Stephen Davey has a book called I Pledge Allegiance, and I want to share what he says in this. Our relationship to society is not to reform it, but to redeem it, one person at a time. Our mission is not moral reformation, but spiritual reformation. Politics can never achieve that end. The state does not have the equipment to bring about lasting change. Only the gospel delivers a new nature. I like the way he said that. The state, the government, does not have the equipment. They're, they have no power, no capacity to bring about the change we need. Stephen goes on to say, victory is not changing the behavior or our culture unless we have first changed its belief about who Jesus Christ is and how he alone transforms. Spiritual transformation does not happen from the outside in, but from the inside out. The hope for Washington, D.C., and the hope for our culture is the same as that for your next-door neighbor. It's Jesus Christ's saving gospel and a transformation of their heart by way of the cross. When people begin following Christ at His Word, their voting decisions and moral parameters, vocabulary, and goals will be radically reversed by the renewing of their mind. Life will dramatically change as a result of the penetrating, life-changing Word of God. God's Word makes the difference. His Holy Spirit convicts hearts. He opens eyes. He opens the eyes of the blind. God does the work, and His grace makes a change. America needs much more than temporary fixes. Americans need eternal security that is only found in Jesus Christ. So blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Pray that the citizens of the United States will become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Pray that people will turn to the Lord. Pray that God will bless America. Pray that he will bless Americans with salvation. The campaign is not over. It really isn't over. The campaign is to get the word out about the need to confess sin and seek rescue from sin and a savior. Share the good news that hope is in Jesus. Psalm 33 tells us that good news, hope, the blessings of the people of the Lord. It tells us what the blessings are. So let's look at that. Verses 13, oh, where am I? God's dominion over individuals. I clicked too soon. I'm going to tell you about the blessings that are in Psalm 33, verses 13 through 15. It says, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works. This tells us God sees us. 
God sees us and he knows us. Not only was he on the throne and powerful at creation, not only is he on the throne and ruling over nations and rulers, God is on the throne and aware of every individual person. So you can see why this is up here now. We're looking at God's dominion over individuals. He's the deliverer, not any king or warrior or military might. God sees the inhabitants of the earth and he knows they need delivering. There's nothing that we can look to to save us except for the Lord and his son. In verse 18, it shows us God's dominion over individuals. And the first word is behold. Behold. Wow. Look at this. This is a strong word to get your attention. Look. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Who will the Lord deliver? Even if our nation does not submit to the Lord, the Lord knows who belongs to him and he will deliver that one. He delivers those who fear the Lord. He delivers those who recognize that God is the creator and the powerful God. He delivers those who recognize that he's sovereign over all nations. He delivers those who recognize that he's on the throne and he delivers those who realize they need delivering. He delivers those who hope in the loving kindness of the Lord. We've seen that word. I've mentioned it. Loving kindness. His faithful, loyal love that shows up in the Psalms over and over again. God acts because of his loving kindness. And I know you know this passage that I'm about to read, but I want you to listen to it and hear the loving kindness of the Lord and how it acted towards us. John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him, delivered, rescued through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Don't let that passage ever get old or boring or I've heard that. Wow, what an incredible act of God's loving kindness he gave by sending his Son to rescue us because everybody's already doomed, already judged, already headed towards eternal destruction without Jesus. Well, Psalm 33 concludes with confidence and prayer. And it tells us we must make a choice to rejoice. Verses 20 through 22, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let thy loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in thee. 
This is our song of praise. We must make the choice to rejoice in our God, our powerful creator, our God, the sovereign master over all nations. Knowing this gives us comfort and encouragement, security, hope. Our God is omniscient and on the throne and he can do anything he wants. He is intimately acquainted with our lives and he knows what we need and he will provide for us. Our God is the deliverer. He is our hope and help and shield. So let's sing new songs of praise to him because we trust in his holy name. Let us shout to our sovereign and our wonderful savior. That's all for today. I am Elizabeth Ficken. Thanks for studying the Bible with me.